Luke 14. I will be reading from verses 15 through 27. Luke 14, beginning at verse 15. And when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper, and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor, and the maimed, and the halt, and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you, that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me, and hate not his father, and mother, and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross, and come after me, cannot be my disciple." And you may be, see, may be seated. We were reminded again this morning of several people that are facing some circumstances that may seem overwhelming health-wise and so forth. I'm thankful this morning that nothing is overwhelming to God. I'm thankful that his presence is here and that he knows we are here in each of our situations this morning, and I trust that we can lay our burdens at his feet and be encouraged as we're gathered together here. I recently preached a uh, two-part message on the Holy Spirit, on which we focused on the person and the purpose of the Holy Spirit, as well as his work in our lives. And I was not intending that subject to be a series necessarily, I was looking at it as a two-part message. But several of you commented after the second sermon that you're looking forward to the next one. And I wasn't sure exactly that there was going to be a next one on that subject. Did not have another one in, in mind. However, in the last message, one of the things I mentioned was the sins against the Holy Spirit, which include blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, resisting the Holy Spirit, quenching the Holy Spirit, and grieving the Holy Spirit. And I'm not sure that all those words refer to specifically different sins. It may overlap somewhat, different words that uh, describe somewhat this. But one of these sometimes may tend to stand apart in our minds and often leaves us with questions. What is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? And I may not answer that question directly this morning, and yet perhaps... There may be some indications that, uh, that give us some uh, response to that question. 
Well, soon after I preached the last message, I was reading and I read the passage that Norman read here this morning from Luke 14, and I wondered, is there a connection between the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit and what we read in this passage? And as I read the passage, I began to see it in somewhat a new light, a new way. Typically, when we read this passage, we see it as referring to what God offered to the Jews, a great invitation to the Jews. And the Jews rejected that offer from God, so God extended it to the Gentiles all over the world. And as we read this passage, a servant could refer to the prophets or even to the apostles and believers today. And I certainly do not argue against that interpretation of this passage. I think that is... is um, something that this passage is bringing out. However, as we look at the passage with that interpretation in mind, it can cause us to feel pretty good about ourselves. We think, yes, those Jews, they really blew it. But we accepted the invitation. We're where we belong. Good for us. Are you sure? And as I read this passage, I began to see myself as the person who receives the invitation. And God's messenger as the Holy Spirit speaking into my life. How well do I respond to the Spirit's voice? Do I always accept his prompting? Or do I resist? And I'd like to look at this passage this morning from that perspective God's Spirit bringing his invitation to me and my response to the Spirit. And I invite you to keep your Bibles open to Luke 14 as we look at this passage. And the title of the message is Responding to the Spirit's Voice. Do I respond when the Spirit comes and speaks to me? The first thing I see in this passage is the invitation. And this invitation is, it seems to be a two-part invitation in verses 16 and 17. And I believe that this is typical with the way God's Spirit speaks with us as well. First of all, let's look at the situation here with the people in this, in this parable. For those invited to the Great Supper, verse 16 seems to be a pretty general invitation. Many were bidden. They had a general awareness of what was to come and that they were somehow to be included in this. And it seems that they had this idea in their mind that it was going to be sometime, but they didn't know when. This was the general aspect of the invitation. And it seems that they assumed that when sometime came, at that moment, it would be convenient to respond. It may not be convenient now, but when that time comes, it will be convenient and I will be ready. And it seems that they assumed that there was nothing they needed to do now in order to be prepared when that sometime came. And it seems that they really did very little about the awareness that they had. And I think that parallels our situation as well. You know, the first part of the invitation is pretty general. We have a general awareness of God's invitation to us. Most of us do not lack 
in that respect. Most of us here grew up in Christian homes where we were taught about God's plan and God's plan for our lives and that God wants us to follow him. We heard biblical teaching since we were children. We heard preaching in church. We heard teaching in Sunday school. Most of us attended Christian schools where this general awareness was there. Many of us have had the privilege to attend Bible schools. And we had this general awareness of God's plan and that, yeah, it, it involves me and that I need to respond to that. We had that in our minds, a vague idea that someday, yeah, I will be a part of God's plan. But it's very easy for us to focus on that someday, someday, I will be a part of that plan. Not today, maybe tomorrow, maybe next year, maybe in five years. But when tomorrow or next year comes, we still say, maybe tomorrow or maybe next year. And somehow we think that when tomorrow does arrive, it will be different. We will do things differently. We will be ready and it will fall into place. We think, of course, we will, res we will respond when the invitation comes. Yet, we tend to do very little about it. This is the verse 16 aspect of the invitation. A certain man made a great supper and bade many. They knew that they were invited and that someday the day would come. Someday the opportunity would be here. And they just assumed that everything would fall into place. Well, then I'd like to look beyond the awareness to the response in verse 17. And this is when it gets a little more specific when things narrow down. You see in verse 16 they were bidden, but in verse 17 it came to a decision point. It came to where they needed to make a personal response. Suddenly, tomorrow arrived. And these men, these people, discovered that they were not ready to do what perhaps they had always assumed that they would do. And suddenly, tomorrow was here. And they found that there were obstacles standing in the way. And that's the second part of the invitation of God's Spirit that applies to us as well. First of all, we have this general awareness. But then there comes to a time when this general awareness kind of zeroes in on us. And we begin to hear the Spirit speaking to us more specifically. And not only is he speaking to us more specifically, but he's asking for a response. And he's waiting to see what our response will be. And this is the point where God's plan calls for a response from my life. This is a point where it is personalized. We have this general awareness of God's plan for people. But there comes a point in our life, in our lives, where the Spirit speaks to us more personally. And we begin to realize that God's plan is not simply for everyone in general, but God's plan is for me as an individual and for me specifically. And we see God's timing in here as we become aware that this is not just for me to respond to sometime. This is for me to respond to now. And there's a call for action. This is not simply for me to know. It is for me to do. So you see how this two-part invitation, it's first a general thing, but then there comes to a point 
where we realize that God's invitation is to me specifically now to do something about. The question is, what am I going to do? Am I going to do that? Am I going to follow it? When that moment of God's Spirit speaking to us becomes specific. I'd like to look at the difference between the awareness and the response. Because there is a vast difference between these two. There's a vast difference between knowing and doing. And like I said, I believe that we as a congregation, we as a church, are pretty strong on the knowing part. We know that God has a plan. We know what he wants us to do in a general sense. But are we willing to respond when the voice of the Spirit gets very personal and we feel his nudging to do a certain thing? Or are we, is our tendency to resist that? How often have you resisted when you sensed the prompting of the Spirit? That's the difference between knowing, <coughs> between knowing and doing. You know, sometimes it may be something big, like surrendering our life to his will. When we feel God's spirit speaking to us to commit our lives to God, this is a big decision. Perhaps we resist that. Or are we willing to do it? It may be something big, like being willing to move to the mission field if God is calling us to go to service, or giving something that is dear to us, giving it up, if God is asking to do that. It may be something like simply being willing to commit to teach a Sunday school class when we know it's going to take hours of our time every week. But it may also be something that we feel is pretty small. And those smaller things may be easier to ignore. We think, well, it really doesn't matter. It's not a big thing. Maybe the Spirit is nudging us to share our testimony with a neighbor or share a word of encouragement to someone that needs it. And we sense that nudging. But the time comes and we have places to go and people to see and things to do. And we just really don't have time. And we just kind of ignore that. We begin to make excuse. Maybe it's a little thing like submitting to some rule that we've been trying to ignore. Or some law, whatever it is civil situation or school, wherever. Maybe it's a thing like simply spending more quality time with God each day. The Spirit is nudging you. You need to spend more time with me so that you can grow in your Christian life. And when it gets personal, we just tend to push that off. We make excuse. Maybe it's a question like how we use our time. And even how we use our time when we're online. Does following this link really merit my time? And we make excuse. Well, I'll just do it this time. Next time I'll use my time more wisely. Or maybe God is asking you, do you really think it's wise to spend your, after, your Sunday afternoons week after week watching a football game? Well, just today. I'll do it today. Maybe next Sunday I won't. You see, we, we push it off. I don't know what it is for you. But I believe that every one of us can think of times when we sensed a prompting and resisted it. And that's what happened in this passage in Luke 14. These men were given a prompting that they resisted. When God sends his spirit to you and says, come, 
What is your response? When I hear God's spirit saying come, what is my response? In the Gospel of Matthew, we see a similar account, a similar account of this uh, passage of the invitation. And in that passage, uh, the account ends with the words, For many are called, but few are chosen. You see, each one of us this morning are called. We're called by the Spirit. We're called to follow His prompting. We have heard the Spirit's voice. The question is, will you be one of the few who chooses to respond to his voice, to obey, to heed at the moment of his choosing? If God's Spirit is speaking to you this morning, and if God's Spirit is reminding you of times where you tried to ignore what he was prompting you to do, which is a grief to the Spirit, you need to confess that to God and beg for his mercy. So the first two verses in this passage, 16 and 17, are the invitation. I'd like to look now at the distractions of these three men, the excuses that they gave, perhaps we could say. But I'd like to look before the excuses to see what was really distracting these people. And we see three different things. These are things that can hinder our response to the voice of the Spirit. Because, you see, we have distractions too, and there are things that that tend to keep us from responding to the Spirit the way God wants us to be. The first distraction in verse 18 was a piece of ground. This man said, I have bought a piece of ground. And I see this as, represent, uh, as representing places. You know, a piece of ground is a place. Basically what this man was saying is, I want to be where I can... See the places that mean a lot to me, the places that are dear to me. You know, and a lot of us have sentimental attachments to places of significance in our lives, places where we grew up. If you're a Lancaster County native, you may think that Lancaster County is the most wonderful place on the earth. If you come from Ohio or Indiana or some other state, you may tend to think that that's the most wonderful place on earth. You see, we, we have these attachments to certain places. If I go back to areas where I spent my youth, I'm flooded with memories and sentiments. And I might begin telling about things that I remember. If my family is with me, I can probably picture my children in the back seat, rolling their eyes and thinking, well, here we go again. You see, those places don't mean as much to them because... They did not grow up there. They don't have the same attachment as I did. But if we go back to where our children grew up, then we hear them telling memories, telling stories, because there's an attachment. And I think we can all think of places that have an attachment to us. And these places in our life represent our emotional attachments. And my question this morning is, do you have attachments that keep you from responding to the voice of the Spirit? When the Spirit speaks to you, are there things that you find distracting? What is your response if God asks you to go somewhere, to leave an area where you feel connected to? Do you say, well, I'm sorry, but I have this piece of land that I'm really not willing to leave? You know, God throughout Scripture has called a lot of people to leave. 
We see it in the book of Genesis, the whole way up until today. God called Abraham to leave his country. God called Lot to leave Sodom. He really wasn't willing to go. He was pretty attached. God called Jacob to leave his country and take his family and move to Egypt. Later, he told Moses to go back to Egypt. And then the children of Israel were called out of Egypt. Time and again, God asked people to leave their country, their home place. Even the disciples were led to leave Jerusalem, which you could consider to be the Lancaster County of their day. And they were flexible. They were willing to go. They were not too attached. What is God's Spirit asking you? When God's Spirit asks you, what is your response? Do we say, well, I have this piece of land. I really don't want to leave it. What about the next distraction? Second man said, well, I bought five yoke of oxen, which represents things in our life. And things can represent our physical attachments. Not just our emotional attachments, but the physical things that want to keep us, keep our attention. What do we respond if God asks us to go? I know of a family that was asked to go to the mission field a number of years ago. And they were making plans to go. And there was a boy in this family who was heartbroken because he knew that he could not take his dog along to the mission field. This was something that he was attached to. What are the things in our lives? Well, in this case, someone had five yoke of oxen. And I have this hunch that five yoke of oxen was a pretty big thing, not just a little thing. Seems to me that many people of this time period would probably have been pretty glad to have even one yoke of oxen. They may have only had a lowly donkey to do their work, and they probably would have considered one yoke of oxen to be a luxury. Well, this man had five yoke of oxen. This was big-time business. Surely this is a valid reason. Surely this is a valid excuse. Surely God would not call someone with this level of investment to give it up to follow his call, would he? I mean, five yoke of oxen? Would he expect that? Can you think of anyone in the Bible that had more than five yoke of oxen? If you turn back to 1 Kings verse, chapter 19, Elijah was instructed to call Elisha, and he found Elisha plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. This was a big-time farmer. He had things going for him, plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. I can imagine that Elisha was really anticipating the harvest. He was anticipating payday. He was anticipating seeing a return on his investment. But what did he do? He gave it all up. He left the scene and ran after Elijah. He just left those oxen behind. Sometimes the more we have, the harder it may be to give it up. But does that really make a difference to God? Do you think it really does? Imagine two children dumping out their piggy banks and comparing their assets. Maybe the one child dumps out 10 or 20 cents, while the other child dumps out 8 or $10. And the first child thinks, wow, you have a lot of money. I mean, he has several thousand times as much. And then along comes an adult, sees what these children are doing, 
And this adult has hundreds of thousands of dollars. To him, does 20 cents or $8 really make a difference? To him, it's both nothing. To him, it wouldn't really make any difference which child is giving up more. And I think that's how it is when God looks at us. It doesn't matter if we have one dog or if we have five yoke of oxen or if we have 12 yoke of oxen. It's basically all is nothing to God. Is it too much for us to give up? When God's spirit speaks to you, do your things get in the way? You know, I I would teach Sunday school class, but I, I really don't have time because of caring for my house and my garden, my home. I would go into VS or mission work, but I don't want to give up my job. I finally got this position I've been waiting for. You know, I would contribute more to the work of the church, but I, I really want to buy that new truck or take this business opportunity that's coming along. What is our response when God's spirit calls? Do we say, well, I, I have these five yoke of oxen and they're just really getting to the point where they're going to be bringing in some income. I really think it'd be poor stewardship to not receive a return on my investment. What is your response? Well, let's look at the third distraction. A wife. A wife represents people. Now, surely this was a good reason. Those other people, they have land and cows, but I have a wife. Certainly, she needs to be given top priority. Well, people represent our social attachments. And this may be one of the biggest hurdles of all, the most difficult things to give up. As we read verse 26, this was the one of these three distractions that Jesus came back to. He says, whoever is not willing to give up his social attachments cannot be my disciple. This can be a tough one. Now, I wonder... Why could the man who married a wife not come? I really don't know. Maybe she was not willing. Maybe she said, well, I don't know anyone there. I'm going to feel like an oddball and a misfit. I don't want to go, and I don't want you to go either. Maybe they had been married for a while. doesn't say here that... He was just married. He says, I, bought, I have a wife. I cannot come. Maybe they already had children. And they did not want to take their children to an insecure environment where they would not be with their friends, where they would not have a good education, where they would not have opportunity to get jobs. Or maybe grandpa and grandma got involved. Well, you can't take our grandchildren away from us. I don't know what all was involved here, but there was obviously some social issues. That can be a distraction. And I just want to encourage you this morning, if you are considering marriage, if you are anticipating looking ahead to marriage, you do not want a spouse that is going to stand in the way of your response to God's spirit. You need to make that a matter of prayer. Pray often that God would give you a spouse that will draw you towards his spirit. And along with that, pray that you could become a spouse that would draw your mate towards God's spirit. Pray this for yourself. 
Pray it for your children. Pray that your children could become that kind of spouse, that they could find that kind of spouse. Pray it for your grandchildren. For those of us who are married, let us pray that our marriage would not prevent us in any way from responding to the Spirit of God. For those of us who are not married, I know of people that would have had opportunity to get married, but they did not feel that this relationship that they had the opportunity to get involved in would be an asset to the relationship with God. They felt that it could hinder their freedom to follow. And may God bless those people for that sensitivity. And may those in that situation continue to respond to God's spirit and accept the opportunities. When God's spirit calls, are you willing? I'd like to look at two lessons from these distractions. First of all, the visible had more appeal to these people than the invisible. You see, the land, the oxen, and the wife, they could see. They could see these items. It was before them. The great supper, they had heard about, but it was not in front of them, and they could not see it. And because they could not see it, it was just an idea, it seemed to have less of an appeal for them, less tangible. But a person who responds to the Spirit will place more value on what they can't see and less value on what they can see. In this case, the visible had more appeal. Sometime look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 15 to 18. Don't think I'll take time to turn to that passage this morning. But read those verses, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 15 to 18, and look how the Spirit really desires what is good for our lives. And if we want the internal value to increase, the external will need to have a decreasing grip on our lives. A person who responds to the Spirit will place more value on what they can't see and less value on what they can see. The second lesson I see from these distractions is that there is no excuse for making excuses. There's no excuse for making excuses. Romans chapter 1, verse 20, talks about people, unrighteous people, who are not following God, tells how that God has revealed himself through nature, through creation, even to these people, so that they are without excuse. That's the words, they are without excuse. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, it uses a similar expression to describe people who know God. And yet still try to make excuse. It says, therefore, thou art inexcusable if you go by your own judgment instead of allowing God's judgment to rule your life. It says, we too are without excuse. There is no excuse in making excuses. Let's move on to the third point. Verses 21 through 24 the results of resisting the Spirit. And perhaps this is the most sobering, perhaps these are the most sobering verses in this passage. The results of resisting the Spirit. Now, as the Spirit guides us, we see several phases in this, and I touched on that before. First of all, we see this nurturing relationship where the Spirit gives you a general awareness 
And during this time, the spirit may have an ongoing relationship with you where he's developing this relationship and leading you towards him. But then we come to the point of decision that we talked about earlier. And this is a point where you need to make a decision, where you need to decide, am I going to respond to the spirit speaking in my life? And at this point in this passage, when the spirit came in verse eight, in verse 17, there is no indication of the Spirit persisting or persuading or convincing. The Spirit simply came and said, the time is here for you to make a decision. All this time, up until now, I have been leading you, I have been informing you, I have been letting you know about the invitation, what you need to do, but now the time is here where you will need to make a decision and basically, it was up to those people to take it or leave it. When the Spirit nudges you, that is the time to respond. Today is the day. Harden not your hearts. The next point is what really sobers me. When these people made excuse, the Spirit just simply left. He moved on. And from that point on, these people were not given another invitation. They were not given a second chance. In verse 24, the master said, none of those men which were bidden, which were first bidden and refused shall taste of my supper. These people were the eternal losers simply because they were distracted and they made excuse when the spirit nudged them. Brothers and sisters, that is what can happen even today when we resist the Spirit of God. That is what can happen when we quench the Spirit of God. That's what can happen when we grieve the Spirit of God. God said, my Spirit will not always strive with man. And when we resist the Spirit, it's serious business. Because we are flirting with a lost opportunity that we may never have again. I'm talking about big issues in life, but I'm also talking about small issues in life, those little nudgings. There is a supper being prepared, the marriage supper of the Lamb. We are being invited, and the Spirit is nudging us in the direction that will lead us to participate in that supper. When the Spirit speaks, do not make excuse. Rather than resisting the Spirit, thank Him for speaking to you and ask Him to continue leading. Now, sometimes as we look at the Spirit's work in our lives and the Spirit's direction in our lives, and sometimes we might sense a lack of direction. We might ask ourselves, well, why, why doesn't the Spirit lead me onward? Why doesn't the Spirit reveal His will to me? And why is this brother or this sister, why does the Spirit lead him in such specific ways when I don't receive that same leading? Well, I think that leads us to the next point. And that is the progression of responding to the Spirit. You see, as, this, as we respond to the Spirit, the Spirit will continue to guide us to the next step, to the next step, to the next step. But if we resist the Spirit and we refuse to follow him, why will he continue to lead? That's when he goes on to someone else. 
The results of resisting the Spirit are serious. But the progression of responding to the Spirit is beautiful as God continues to, continues to lead us on. And when we respond to the voice of the Spirit, He will not drop us. He will not go His way. He will continue to lead us on. I'd like to look at a bit of progression that I see in this passage. In verse 23, And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. Now this was referring to the people that the Spirit went to after the first refused. The first opportunity they were given was to come in. This is accepting the invitation. We could equate this with salvation. The salvation experience is simply coming in to God's banquet, God's meal that has prepared for us. This is identifying ourselves with God. And sometimes our tendency is to come to this point and stop there. We say, well, I have responded to God's invitation. We are in. That's what counts. Nothing else matters. But that's only the beginning. If we come in but do nothing more, we are in danger of being cast out. If you go back to Matthew, I think it's uh, chapter 22, I'm not sure, where this similar passage is. There was one man who went in who stopped at that point. And he did not put on the wedding garment. He did not take off his old garment. He did not obey, continue to obey the Spirit's leading. What happened to him? He was cast out. And there was no negotiation with him. The master asked him, why are you dressed as you are? It says he was speechless. He had nothing to say. If we do not continue beyond this point, we too will be left speechless. He sets the terms. We respond. We cannot stop with simply coming in. Well, what's the next stop? Next step. In verse 26, Jesus continues saying, if any man come to me. It's not just a matter of coming in, but it's coming to Jesus. And this is not simply accepting the invitation, but now this is accepting the terms of the invitation. This is putting on the wedding garment. This is obeying what God asks us to do. This is not only salvation, this is discipleship. This is going beyond. In verse 26, Jesus said, If any man come to me, but does not reject, does not, is not willing to give me first place, he cannot be my disciple. This is a matter of discipleship. And it's not simply a matter of identifying with Christ, but it's a matter of laying aside, laying aside our dreams, our personal ambitions, Laying aside those distractions we talked about later. The places, the things, the people that distract us. The emotional attraction, the physical attractions, and the social attachments that we have. Yea, his own life also, Jesus said. These are all things that we need to lay aside as we accept the terms of discipleship in following Christ. And then there's a third step. In verse 27, where Jesus says, And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. This is the next step where the Spirit continues to lead us. Not only accepting the invitation, accepting the terms, but now we are accepting the responsibility. 
that he places on our shoulders. This is not simply salvation and discipleship, but this is service that he calls us to. It's not only identifying with Christ, laying aside the things that we need to lay aside, but it's taking up the things that he wants to give us. Taking up the cross, taking up the yoke of service. We need to take up the progression of responding to the Spirit. I'd like to go back now to an Old Testament example as we're looking at this parable as an illustration of God's Spirit speaking to my life and my response to His Spirit, responding to the voice of the Spirit. Will I respond? What happens? I'd like to think a bit of the example found in the book of Ruth, of Ruth and Orpah and Naomi. And I'd like to look at Naomi, in this case, as a representation of the Holy Spirit. And Ruth and Orpah as two people who gave different responses. Now, as you read that passage, it says both of these rose with Naomi, and they both went with her. Now, it came to the point where Naomi told them, go back. There's no reason why you need to come with me. And you might ask the question, well, now, why would the Holy Spirit tell us to go back? You see, over here in Bethlehem, there was a redeemer. There was Boaz. There was a man who had all the provisions to pay the price for their redemption. And the Holy Spirit was saying, don't go. Or Naomi was saying, don't go. Go back. Why would she do that? Really what I think Naomi in that case was doing was telling those girls, you need to count the cost. And if you really come with me, you need to be sure you're willing to go the whole way. This is not just a first step or a second step. This is the whole way. As we read these uh, following verses here in Luke, Jesus said, for which of you intending to build a tower doth not sit down first and count the cost, whether you have enough to complete it. And I think that's what Naomi was doing in this case. Girls, you need to count the cost. Is your commitment going to carry you the whole way? Or are you just kind of so half interested here, you'll go along as long as it's convenient for you? She was telling them to count the cost. And in, verse, or in the book of Ruth there, it says when Naomi saw that Ruth was steadfast and minded to go with her. I can just picture Naomi inside saying, yes, she passed the test. She is going to go all the way. What happened to Orpah? She was the one who resisted. She was the one who was looking out for herself. And she was the eternal loser. You see, Boaz paid the price for her redemption as well. She never benefited because she did not follow the Spirit's life. And the interesting thing is, as Ruth followed Naomi, the work was not finished. That was just the first step. And you continue to read through that book, you see how that Naomi guided her step by step by step. Until finally, Ruth was in the presence of her Redeemer. And 
he was taking over her life from there, closer and closer. This morning, the Spirit is speaking. Are you hearing the voice of the Spirit? This morning, this space in which we are sitting is filled with many signals of which we are totally unaware. There's all kinds of radio signals going through here. If you'd have a radio, you could tune in to countless stations. There's cell phone signals. There's all kinds of signals going through this room that you are totally unaware of. God's Spirit is in this room. And you can be totally unaware to God's Spirit as well. Are you ready to tune in to tune your dial to God's spirit. Because when we tune in, there can be a striking, high-definition clarity. And then the question is, will I respond to the voice of the spirit, or will I make excuse? May God help us to follow his leading. Let us kneel for prayer. Father, we thank you that your spirit is present here with us this morning. Thank you that wherever we are, no matter what we're facing in life, the joyful days, the exciting days, the overwhelming days, your spirit is there. And Lord, we confess that so often we are distracted and we come up with our excuses and our reasons. We feel they're so valid. And yet, someday we will stand before you and we will be speechless with all of our excuses. Pray, Lord, that we could tune in to your spirit, to your spirit's voice this morning, that we could hear it with clarity, and, Lord, that we would respond, that we could follow step by step so that you could continue to lead us to where you want us to be in this life and to that marriage supper of the Lamb in eternity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.